Coming up on this week's show, CB Lee talks to us about the latest in her Sidekick series. This is the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. Each week, we bring you exclusive author interviews, book recommendations, and explore the latest in gay pop culture. Welcome to episode 191 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from jeffadamswrites.com, and with me as always is my co-host and husband, Mr. Will Knaus. Hello, everybody. This episode of the podcast is brought to you in part by our remarkable community on Patreon. A big thanks to Paranthi for joining us. We'll have more information on how you can join them at the end of the show, along with a sneak peek of what we have coming up for you next week. So here we are, the first weekend of June. Happy Pride, everybody. Happy Pride. Yes, indeed. Pride 2019 has kicked off, uh, which features at the heart of it a celebration of Stonewall 50, which I'm sure we'll talk more about as the month goes along. Uh, something that struck me yesterday uh, as Pride Month kicked off, well, actually, that'd be Saturday as Pride Month kicked off, I found a video in my Facebook feed uh, from the NHL and the NHL Players Association celebrating Pride. And I have to say, it was like one of the best things I've ever seen. Uh, of course, hockey is my sport. Hockey has long been at the forefront of trying for equality uh, in sports, uh, along with their partnership with the You Can Play program. And I really thought it was just a tremendous video showing really how all of the teams, and there's 30, I think it's 31 NHL teams right now, uh, each of them celebrates a Pride Night at some point during their season. Uh, it, it's tremendous to see that from a professional organization, and I can only imagine what a video like that would have meant for me as a kid watching hockey, growing up knowing I was gay and being very closeted living in the South. So thank you, NHL, for that beautiful video. Thank you to all of the corporations and organizations out there uh, celebrating Pride Month because Pride is still so very important. Um to everyone in the LGBTQ community. So, yeah, that's my little pride moment for this week. Cool. Now, you had a, well, you had a big moment this week. Netminder, the fourth and final book of the Codename Winger series, did release this past Tuesday. Uh, got some love from all corners of the internet, which was really cool to see. Uh, some things that happened last week, uh, I got interviewed by Lee Wynn over on the I'm Here, I'm Queer, What the Hell Do I Read? Uh, blog, which was really cool. I recently uh, reviewed Lee's book, Queer as a $5 Bill, on the show. And Lee's actually going to be here in episode 194, which will drop on June 24th, to talk about the book and this YA blog that he's got, which is a really tremendous resource for YA literature featuring LGBTQ characters. So that was pretty darn cool. Mm -hmm. um, I also got a review on Rainbow Book Reviews that I'll drop a link to. Uh, in the show notes, that uh, Serena Yates there really enjoyed the finale. I was so glad to hear that. Serena has been a big uh, advocate for the series, uh, giving each of the books good reviews, which I so much appreciate. But the fact that she thought I wrapped it up well was was meaningful. Um, I I don't watch Game of Thrones. I think I watched ten minutes of the first episode and went, mm, not for me. But I'm very aware that the fandom was outraged at the ending, and I'm, I I didn't want to outrage the fans that I've got with my ending, and so far, so good on that. Uh, coming up this week, i got a couple more of uh, blog posts out in the world. I'm going to be at Love Bites. Hi, Danny. We love you. Uh, with a post excerpt and giveaway. And then on Wednesday, June 5th, 
I'll be at the Harmony Inc. blog with a... I did a little fun top five things we learned about Theo uh, during the series that really don't relate to him being a spy. It's more about him just being a kid and a normal guy. Uh, so I'll be wrapping up my promo stuff with that this week. Fantastic. Yeah. So some pride stuff going on uh, and some stuff that you guys can look at from what's going on here in Sacramento. Uh, the Queer Sacramento Authors Collective read this past Friday night at the Lavender Library, as we do each quarter. And there's some live video that you could check out on the Big Gay Fiction Podcast Facebook page from that event. Uh, Kim Fielding, Mike Lopez, Pat Henshaw, Amy Lane, Steffi Link, and myself all read from some of our published work. And E.S. Wynn and Liz Freyam read, that's the word, read, from some works in progress. I always love going to these things. I love hearing what our author friends are working on. I have to give a particular shout out to Kim Fielding, who read from her latest uh, Stars in Peril book, which I can't wait to get my own reading eyeballs on. And uh, Amy Lane read from String Boys, which I wanted to read the book because of Reese Dante's awesome cover. And now that I've heard Amy read from it, I want to read it even more. And we've got another event here in Sacramento coming up on Thursday, June 6th. We're going to be at the Time-Tested Bookstore, which is an independent store here in town, and starting at 7 o'clock Pacific Time, uh, there'll be readings from myself, J. Scott Coatesworth, Liz Fram, Pat Henshaw, Devin Kent, Amy Lane, Stephanie Lake, and E.S. Wynn. Uh, we'll be live streaming that as well on the Big Gay Fiction Facebook page, so you can check out the goings on there. And if you're in Sacramento, come on down and say hello, because it's I think it's going to be fun. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, And I forced this one into hosting, so uh, you could check him out doing hosting duties as well. It's going to be a lot of fun uh, kicking off Pride. Yeah. One other quick note on June 1st, registration for Coastal Magic Con 2020 opened. Now, yes. I know it's a little early to be thinking about events in 2020, uh, but now is the time to kind of take a look at what Jennifer has set up for next year's convention. It's really good, people. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'd always heard how good Coastal was. We were there this year, and we are so eager to go back. Because, you know, the beach in February, you cannot undersell the beach in the middle of winter. Uh, the featured author lineup is so good this year. And in particular, uh, the gay romance authors are coming out in force. And among the ones that we found on the list this year, uh, Zoe Axelrod, Brew Baker, Macy Blake, Casey Byrne, Mary Calmay, Charlie Cochet, Katie Hawthorne, uh, Kiernan Kelly, Cordelia Kingsbridge, Amy Lane, Morgan Bryce, Megan Maslow, Z.A. Maxfield, Terry Michaels, Victoria Sue, and of course, Damon Swade will no doubt be unleashing some crazy town movie for Cinema Craptastique. Mm -hmm. Now, the con takes place uh, February 20th through the 23rd next year in 2020. You can get all the details and register at CoastalMagicConvention.com. High school hockey player? Computer whiz? Covert agent? Theo Reese's life is split between being a normal teenager and a secret agent who goes by the codename Winger. After years of providing mission support from behind his keyboard, he's thrust into an unexpected world of adventure and danger. In Tracker Hacker, the first book in the codename Winger series by Jeff Adams, it becomes personal for Theo as an enemy organization compromises tactical operational support's agent tracker system. Among the missing agents, his father. Theo puts his life on the line to stop the hack and rescue his dad. 
Diverse Reader says, Wow, talk about a wild ride from beginning to end. I could not stop reading. Discover the world of Codename Winger with Tracker Hacker. Available in ebook, paperback, and audiobook, as narrated by John Solo. Now, one way that you can celebrate the beginning of Pride Month is by going to the movies. Uh, we certainly did that this past weekend when Rocket Man opened. Uh, it's, of course, the biopic about Elton John. And um, my like one-sentence review is it's f- just fucking awesome. It's really <laughs> damn good, people. It really, really is. It exceeded every expectation I had for it, which were pretty high because the ads looked super good. Uh, I didn't expect it to be as much of a musical as it is, that there are some burst out into songs and have some choreography. It's not just performance footage or in-studio stuff, which delighted my musical theater heart to death. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have really didn't know what to expect with, um, I cannot pronounce his name. Taron Edgerton. Thank you. The guy from Kingsman. Uh, to be able to take on this role. I mean, it was a lot like... You know, I didn't know how Rami Malek would become Freddie Mercury, and it was very much the same thing with Taron. Um, he's extraordinary, and his singing is so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, like you, I can't undersell this movie at all because it's so freaking awesome. Uh, I'm trying to pick out something specific to even call out, but the whole thing, even down to its structure where it starts kind of, you know, in the future and then goes back through childhood and then comes up and goes forward. It really details his childhood up through when he essentially made his comeback with I'm Still Standing, um, that wonderful video as he came out of rehab um, some 20 years ago now. Um, just well, extraordinary. Yeah, longer than that. What, what you're speaking about is something that's actually pretty interesting. Um, from a structure, storytelling, and filmmaking standpoint, um, Rocket Man doesn't break any new ground. It's a pretty straightforward biopic. You've got Elton's rise to fame and then his fall and then his essential comeback, um, which is something that we've seen, you know, dozens, if not hundreds of times before. But what this movie excels at is it's that it's it's charming, it's relatable, it's very interesting, uh, and it all really hinges on uh, Taron Edgerton's uh, remarkable performance. Mm-hmm. I think I think there's always a danger when you are portraying the life of someone so well known that I think for a, a lesser filmmaker or a lesser actor, um, you might like immediately go to that you it's more more important to do an impression of this person or this personality. Uh, and that's not what's going on here in Rocket Man. And it certainly isn't what happened in We Will Rock You either. Well, um, Bohemian Rhapsody. Bo- I'm yes. So, I'm so sorry. I, I, got, I got the songs mixed up. Um, <laughs> um, what they've done is they these particular actors have really delved, delved into the characters that they're portraying. The other thing I liked about it, and I say this as I have not seen Bohemian Rhapsody, but I've heard how it portrayed Freddie. Um, In this case, this movie is unabashedly gay. Um, The the relationship that Elton had with his first manager, those two were in a relationship. They have sex two or three times on screen. 
uh, it does not pull back. It does not whitewash it. It just is. And, and that was certainly one of the criticisms uh, in the Queen movie is that they kind of tried to brush a lot of his sexuality to the side. And that doesn't happen here, which makes it an even better movie to go see for Pride Month. Uh, it was it was wonderful. Um, so yeah, go see Rocket Man. Now, I kicked off my Pride Month of reading with a book I've been so eager to get my hands on, uh, A Lover's Game by Max Walker, with the audiobook narrated by Greg Brudeau. Uh, so happy that this fourth book in Max's Stonewall Investigation series released in audio. I've been eagerly awaiting this final installment of the series, and I was so not disappointed by it. The series has been working up to a final showdown between private investigator Zane Holden and the Unicorn Killer. The Unicorn has loomed large over this series. Uh, he's a serial killer that has terrorized the gay community in New York City. He goes after partnered gay men, and Zane's husband was among the victims. In the first book, we find out that the Unicorn is returned, and now in this fourth one, Zane is obsessed with bringing the Reign of Terror to an end. At the same time, Zane is preparing for his wedding to Enzo, the defense attorney who captured his heart in that first book. Now, unfortunately, Zane is so occupied with this case that he's missing things like the cake testing and venue selection. And, you know, that's a bad thing <laughs> when you're preparing for a wedding. Uh, and he hasn't told Enzo that he's actually working on this case. Zane thinks he's protecting Enzo by keeping his activities a secret. But once that's revealed, Enzo feels that he's actually being put in more danger because he doesn't know what's going on. And... Oh my God, everything hurdles to such a massive, satisfying conclusion here. Max had me super stressed this entire week while I was reading this book. He always does a great job of creating suspense. But here, though, he had me so ratcheted up, I suspected everything. Is that Uber driver the killer, perhaps? Is that <laughs> bottle of wine, perhaps, spiked that they're now having? Yeah. What is that person who's just looked at them on the street? Is that somebody important? Is the person that Zane's interviewing perhaps giving information or is it misinformation? I suspected everything, <laughs> which only made me more stressed. And I yet never figured out who the unicorn was ahead of the reveal. And I loved that I could not sort that out. Uh, and while Zane and Enzo have been featured in these middle two books of the series... It was really great to see them return to the spotlight, which you don't always see. Usually when you're done and you get somebody to their happy, you don't get to come back to them as the central characters. And in this case, I really like that. Their dynamic as a couple as they move towards their wedding date was wonderful to watch. The quiet, sexy moments that they share along with their wedding planning and the time they spend with Enzo's family and their amazing friends. It really shows that this, this super strong relationship that they've got. And boy, are there some sexy times in this book, too. Max always works in really good steamy scenes. But I think he just knocked it over the top uh, with this one. Because, yeah, the them on the balcony. Mercy, people. Uh, now, Max contrasts these happy times with how they handle the increasing threats. They really want to be strong for each other, but also want to keep each other safe. And at times, this really breaks down to where, like, one of them thinks they're being really selfless, but the other one thinks they're being really selfish, 
in keeping what they're keeping, you know, secrets and what to share. It's an interesting dynamic there that Max really did a great job with. Uh, and it's that effort to maintain the balance that a grant only increases the tension because they've got their internal conflict now along with this guy who might be trying to kill them. I both hated and loved what Max put them through, but you know, that just makes it more realistic. And is it weird to say that I liked the terrible choices they were making? I mean, despite being great at their jobs, they really did some things that were like, why, why are you doing this right now? Why aren't you getting this help? Or why aren't you talking to somebody else? These two are flawed, and that makes them even, again, more human. And there were times I wanted to scream at them like I was watching a horror movie because it's like, no, don't do that. Mm. Lastly, kudos to Greg Bruno. He does such a great job in this series overall, but I have to shout out his work voicing the unicorn. It was creepy, and but yet this very calm, evil voice that really made me shudder sometimes. So good job all. Now the spinoff, for, all the, for this series, Stonewall Investigations Miami also got it set up in this book. And the first book, Bad Idea, just released last week. And I cannot wait to pick it up as soon as there's an audio version. So, Max, I hope you've got Greg working on that soon, really. So, yeah, Max Walker's A Lover's Game and the entire Stonewall Investigation series should be on everybody's TBR this summer for sure. Fantastic. Yeah. Now, I have a few quick recommendations. Um, on May 22nd, it was Harvey Milk Day, and I want to uh, quickly call back to a book I recommended last year. It's called Pride, the story of Harvey Milk and the Rainbow Flag. It is by Rob Sanders, uh, and it tells the story of uh, Harvey and his activism and his friend Gilbert Baker and how they together created the Rainbow Flag. Um, so uh, if you haven't checked this book out, I still highly recommend it. Uh, if you're wondering what the author Rob Sanders has been up to, he has a brand new book this year. Uh, this year's book is called Stonewall, A Building, an Uprising, a Revolution. Uh, it's written by Rob Sanders and, of course, illustrated by a guy named Jamie Kristoff. Uh, this is a really wonderful uh, children's book filled with beautiful illustrations by Kristoff. And what's really lovely and kind of unique about this particular book is it tells the history of the Stonewall riots uh, through the eyes of the building itself. Uh, the building is the main character, and it sort of talks about um, its history and the things that have, have, that have happened within its walls. It's really wonderful and charming and a great way to discuss Stonewall and gay history with your younger children. So I highly recommend checking out Stonewall by Rob Sanders. I have to give a shout out to that cover. I love the artwork on that cover. It's so gorgeous. The whole book is really, really beautiful. Um, definitely, everyone, I think that you should check it out. Also, one book I want to highly recommend is a book called The Stonewall Riots, Coming Out in the Streets. It's by Gail E. Pittman. And now this is a book primarily meant for older kids. It's sort of uh, written in chapter book style. And what's really interesting about this particular book is, of course, commemorating uh, Stonewall 50. What it manages to do is it takes 50 different items, uh, whether it's photographs of places or people or objects, and it arranges these objects chronologically, and it tells the story of the uh, LGBTQ rights mu movement before, during, and after Stonewall. 
Um, I'm in the middle of reading it right now. Uh, it's really wonderful. Uh, it's uh, got a super, it's got a simple, very straightforward style. Uh, and it's got, it's jam-packed with information. Some of this stuff I did know, some of it I did not. Uh, so it's even educating me. <laughs> That's um, really cool. I think this is actually a really remarkable book. Uh, and if you want to talk about uh, the riots or gay history in general uh, with some of your older kids, maybe in grade school, uh, I think this is uh, the go-to book. It's by Gail E. Pittman, The Stonewall Riots. Awesome. Now, if you're looking for some other titles, uh, you might want to check out uh, Martin Duberman's book about Stonewall. Back in 1994, uh, Duberman wrote a book uh, that essentially became the de facto resource uh, when it came to the Stonewall riots. Well, this year, in celebration of Stonewall 50, he's completely re-edited and revised the book. Uh, the new title is, let me take a quick breath, it's called Stonewall, The Definitive History of the LGBTQ Rights Uprising That Changed America. Um, it's a really long title, but uh, it's an exceptional book. Uh, so I think everyone, if you're interested in the nuance and history of that particular event and the rights movement that followed, uh, Duberman's book is the go-to resource. It still is. It was back then, and it is still now. And one other thing I want to mention is a book called The Stonewall Reader. And what makes this book interesting and unique is, is that it was edited by the New York Public Library. What they did is they essentially went back into their expansive archives and essentially curated uh, different historical pieces, whether it's like, you know, documents or first person accounts of uh, the event itself uh, and uh, news stories, things like that. Uh, they collected it all together in one book. Uh, so if you're interested in um, sort of historical fact and records, you should probably check out the Stonewall Reader. Awesome. Now I want to read all the books. I know. Now, I know <laughs> that was a whole lot of titles that I just threw at you, but guess what? We have a resource uh, so that you can uh, find links and information about all the books that we just talked about. That's right. All you have to do to find all that stuff is go to the show notes page on BigGayFictionPodcast.com for episode 191. Want to hang out with us between shows? Check us out on Facebook. You never know what we might post. News about book sales, bonus video content, and maybe even a live broadcast or two. Like us today at Facebook.com slash BigGayFictionPodcast and see what we get up to next. I was so excited to get to talk to C.B. Lee. We talked to her last year in April when we were doing the L.A. Times Festival of Books. We talked a little bit about the Sidekick Squad series. Then the brand new book, Not Your Backup, comes out on Tuesday, June 4th. And we have all the details on that book, plus the overall origins for the Sidekick series. Welcome, CB, to the podcast. It's great to have you here. Hello. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, it's very exciting. We got to see you last year at the LA Times Festival of Books for a little teeny tiny interview, but we're thrilled to have you back as we start to talk about Not Your Backup, which yeah. will come out on June 4th, just the day after this airs, actually. Oh my gosh, that will be really exciting. <laughs> actually, time's up really perfectly. I actually it, am holding, um, I actually got to touch the oh. advanced copies for the first time um, last week at Y'all West, which due to the fun time jumps of 
podcasting. Um, well, actually, we'll, it's been about a month ago. <laughs> right, right. Um, but yeah, it was really interesting just to like hold it for the first time and see it in print. Um, granted, the advanced copies have typos since I, you know, I went through and did all the passwords through the typos. But it's it's fun. It's fun. It's it's great that it, you know it, it exists. It's in physical form. Um, hasn't quite felt real till now, but now it's it's a real book or will be very soon or tomorrow for for your listeners and readers. There is something about holding that physical copy, even if you see it, you know, even if it's on mm-hmm. your tablet as an ebook. It's mm-hmm. like there's nothing like that paperback when it gets there. Yeah. yeah. Now, not your backup is mm-hmm. book three in the Sidekick Squad series, and for those who haven't experienced this series or heard of it, tell us what this series is all about. Sure. Um, it is about a group of queer teens that uh, take on a corrupt government superhero agency. And they live in this sort of post-dystopian world where um, superheroes are kind of treated like celebrities. And there's a shadowy, you know, shadowy government organizations and mysterious heroes, League of Heroes, that kind of dictates who gets to be a hero and who gets to be a villain. Um, and our, our protagonists all kind of uncover this huge conspiracy and then they work together to um, build a resistance and take it down. It's quite the world that you've built here. I mean, you hit so many things there, dystopian U.S. future, mm-hmm. superheroes, villains. What was your inspiration for all of this? So I'm, I've always been fascinated by kind of that like post-apocalyptic um, or dystopian worlds. Um, but a lot of the media that I've read mostly focuses on um, kind of the when you're in the middle of the disaster, when you're in the middle of the catastrophe, when everything is going wrong, how are people struggling to survive? So um, I really wanted to see a world that was, um, you know, so this is more of like a solar punk take where the world has started to... Um, move forward where, you know, it's a hundred years after all of these disasters have happened. So kind of the impetus for the superpowers in my book is a um, really extremely intense solar flare that catalyzes a latent gene in people. And then after the flare, which knocks out a bunch of nuclear powers, power plants also is starts kind of the chain reaction of a bunch of environmental disasters. Um, so a hundred years later, the world has kind of re um, the governments of the world have kind of shifted and changed. There's been wars, there's been fights over resources. So the United States is now part of the North American collective, which is the entire continent of North America, um, which is now the, habit- the habitable places are, there's, you know, 24 regions, which is, you know, kind of what's left of the states. So there's different areas all across North America, which are now um, the regions in which people live and, um, and um, you know, continue to move forward with, like, their amazing technology and hover tech and um, um, all of this amazing clean technology. But um, at the same time, you have all of these, like, high-tech cities. But outside of those regions, everything else is, like, the unma- unmaintained lands. So you know, the government's claiming there's radiation danger and don't venture out. But of course, our heroes are like, you know, what the government tells us isn't necessarily true. So a lot of actually the fun of writing Not Your Backup is that it actually like kind of one of my working titles was Not Your Road Trip. Because there's <laughs> a lot of road tripping in this book. <laughs> 
Yeah, I noticed there's a bit of a road trip in the sneak peek that I got to read, too. <laughs> yeah. that they're out on this road trip to, to uh, essentially on a mission. Right, right. Yeah, there's the, the heist in the middle, in the beginning of the, the very first chapter. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of fun. We get to see a little bit more of the the country outside of the, the cities in this book, so that's exciting. Now, each of the books deals with one of the main heroes, if you will, or, mm-hmm. or the sidekicks, if you will, mm-hmm. given the name, <laughs> given the titles of the book. But they're really the heroes. In this, in not your backup, we we focus on Emma, who is really mm-hmm. the only one of them without the powers. What what's kind of happening to our heroes this time out? So um, at the end of Not Your Villain, um, we have um, destroyed the registry, which is the big name of everyone who's ever registered with powers that um, Captain Orion was planning to use to kidnap people and use for experiments. Um, and there's really, you know, at that point, every um, our, our heroes have been looking for the resistance the whole time. And they realize... You know, they find a mysterious group that's been um, leaving messages on encrypted channels. But then at the end of the book, or they realize that this is actually like a group of nerds that have been um, joining together to watch band like movies like Star Wars and Harry Potter and stuff. So they realize that there's no there. They need to start the resistance. Um, so that's where we we are at the beginning of Not Your Backup, where Emma, um, Emma and Bells are back in Nevada and they are kind of in the midst of this um, fledgling resistance group. Uh, meanwhile, Jess and Abby are at, um, in the villains at the Villains Guild hideout in the Rockies, um, and they're trying to corral all the other metahumans into taking action. So, the beginning of the book, you know, we're kind of um, everyone has different goals, but then they all come together. Um, but yeah, it's it's more about like building the resistance and finding um, for Emma, it's her journey in finding who she is. And really, um, she's she's a very natural leader. She loves coming up with plans um, and she's she's definitely a Gryffindor. She's the first to like jump in and um, try to take action. Um, you know, her default is like fight me. But she also is, you know, as you mentioned, she, did, she doesn't have powers. Um, and so when she's trying to take a more active role in the resistance, she kind of be- meets, um, you know, butts, head with, butts heads with a few of the other members as they have different ideas about who is and who isn't part of the resistance. She just needs to remind them that Batman didn't have powers either. He just had a really good <laughs> utility belt and brains. So she could definitely <laughs> fill that role. <laughs> the driving force behind deciding the type of character that you have at the forefront of each book, because the, the three books have very different, distinct character types and personalities and just everything about them is just, they're, they're just very different from each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so from the beginning, I wanted to tell um, this story about, you know, this um, fun adventure story with queer protagonists Um so each each book would center another um, one of them in the main four. So there's and then after not your backup, there's um, one more book which will be Abby's story, and so she will round out the quartet. Um, but 
each of their, you know, they have very different personalities, but it's been interesting writing their stories because each of them are on their own journey and what what makes them a hero and, and finding what how do they define success and how do other people see them and how do they see themselves. So for each story, you know, because we're moving forward in time um, as we get to see, you know, who is really, you know, it's been interesting because, you know, all four books will fit together with with the, as a series, but in each book, every everyone gets to have their own um, their own journey, which I really like, because uh, we we've, we've been introduced to all of them all the way back, you know, back in the first mm-hmm. book, but <laughs> then they get to their own story, which could essentially be read as a standalone if you if you wanted to, I guess. Although mm-hmm. reading all of them together is much better. <laughs> um, <laughs> What was the bigger challenge to come up with the trajectory of these four diverse characters or to build this alternate universe of the U.S.? Or were they kind of equal challenges? Um, I feel like the challenge for me is I'm, I'm not like a great outliner or I'm not I've not I haven't ever really been a planner. Um, so I've always been more of the pantser in the writing style. <laughs> um, so when writing a series so when I wrote not your sidekick I didn't know up until I think I was about 50,000 words in when I realized that I could not basically solve the problem within in the next in that one book and I realized you know because um when I pitched it, it was one book and then I was like well I really love all of these characters there's a huge there's a bigger story here behind you know that I've introduced and I will need more than one book to solve it. And so from the get-go, I knew the next the next story after Jess would be Bells. Because you get into, like, the backstory of the metahuman um, training and the, the Heroes League of Heroes. Um, and so kind of, I think, overall, just planning planning a series is really challenging. Um, some people are great at it, where, you know, they're very detailed outlines. They know from the very beginning to the very end, like what the key points are going to be. And so as I was writing book one, I kind of had a panic attack where I was like, oh no, I have to figure out what's going to happen in each of the books. And then as I restructured um, kind of things and then writing book two and and then three, it's kind of come up to the point where I'm working on book four. And now like everything that I, one of the reasons why it took me a long time, longer time um, between books. So Not Your Your Villain came out in 2017. And Not Your Backup is coming out in 2019. So I didn't have a book come out last year because I was still working on kind of crafting the storyline because whatever I did or didn't do in book three would determine what would happen in book four. So everything had to like fall into place and I had to like figure out a lot of stuff. So it took, um, it, it was challenging, but I think, you know, I'm still, <laughs> it's still challenging, but that's part of the joy of writing is to, figure out how to, how to, how to tell the story you want to tell. If you do a series again, do you think you'll try to do outlines more in the upfront or now that you've had this experience, do you kind of know how to do it and, and keep your pantser, <laughs> your pantser ways going on? I don't know if I'll ever, like, I feel like with each book, I'm like, Oh, do I know how to write a novel now? Um, but like every book is its own challenge. Um, I do have a better sense of like, okay, how do I, you know, how do I plot as a pantser? I'm plotting for pantsers and like learning how to like, for me, I just tend to think of it as like an outline, like a roadmap where 
I have these destinations I want to hit, but I'm not committed to, like, I don't have to see everything. And if I go off track or take a different route, that's okay as well. Um, so as long as I kind of get the same, like, it's all on the journey of how I get there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the destinations that I pick along the way, if I get them or not, that's cool. I kind of have these benchmarks that I want to reach. But I, I really like thinking of, of um, the framework in which I think about my books as a, as a roadmap. So I'll try to plan out my, you know, all the cities I want to visit. But um, I'm open to discovering um, places along the way and kind of building up on that. Mm-hmm. How does the Panzer sort of method work while you're world building or do you try to at least before you start writing know this is my world this is what's happened this is what the u.s looks like now and how all of it works or does that come organically as you go as well i actually thought like really early on established the world and what it looked like um i drew (laughs) i drew a map of like which countries were left and which, how, who, what alliances were made and probably much more detail than you'll ever see in the books. Um, because basically I plotted out what happened in that world war three and what, what areas were no longer habitable and all of these things and all the different lines of like, I probably spent way too much time figuring out like the socioeconomical ramifications of which country is like now allying with what country and which countries refuse to join a union or um and then what and they're all new countries so um so there's this whole like political backstory of like which country fought you know which alliance was at war at which alliance and what what's still happening overseas and um some of which you'll see but um it is the world itself um, I've always enjoyed world building, and I think it's it's really fun to come up with the think. Once I wrote book one, where I established like how do the powers work? Um, every power level is different. For example, like the A class, B class, or C class, like depending on how. Basically, um, I wanted all the metahumans in my world to their powers basically are dependent on. Um, like they have a limited number of time per day that they can use their powers. So once they've used it, then they can't use it for the next um, 24 hour period. So it's a different sort of look at um, superpowers and abilities because you have to be more mindful about um, how you use your powers. And then, um, and so that was an element that I established early on. But overall, I think like for me, world building, um, like there's some details I discovered along the way, but I, I pretty much, plotted the world building which is a funny like and it's it's interesting to think about like even though I do consider myself a pantser how much of the series I did very much envision out um from an early stage so like some like some of the confrontations and the the fight scenes and the stuff that like I've been planning one particular scene in book three since book one and I didn't get to do it until so that was like a fun way to be like, oh, yes, I'm finally get her like write the scene that I've been waiting for. Um, but I've had a lot of these like moments in my head and just like getting planning it out and getting the opportunity to like, OK, yes, now I'm getting to that chapter. I'm getting to that point in the whole series where we're getting, you know, it's coming full circle. So that's that's very satisfying. Sounds like you'd have a lot of bonus material, too, if you ever wanted to release it of all <laughs> the stuff that you've got of, of the world itself and the disaster and how it split up and yeah, I mean, it, potentially, I have a whole timeline that I could release. Um, and then I did these um, 
fun. For Not Your Villain, I did all the, 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 the deleted scenes. Um, well, deleted as far as they were cut for length, but I still consider it part of the, the story, the canon. Um, so those are an extra that are available on my website. Um, I'll probably do something similar for backup, but I'm not at that stage yet. Right. It's good to know about the villain extras. I'll be going to check those out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're fun. They're all in one PDF. And um, uh, my book designer, C.B. Messer, was amazing, and she formatted them the same way as the book. Because we had a lot of extra art as well, because she does these amazing like chapter headers for each um, each uh, chapter, and they're she's so talented and amazing designing the covers and, and the interior of the book to really, you know, capture that feel. Um, and so Not Your Villain actually, in edits, went from it. Yeah, it was cut a lot. So, I I was you know, it's really sad as a writer to kind of, like, see these scenes go. But, you know, as far as, you, yes, and my editors were great about, like, um, you know, this scene is great, but, you know, it kind of slows down the pacing or, like, this scene... Um, takes us in a different tone or direction and like while they're great they don't fit in the story at that moment and kind of take away take us away from the main action so I, I understand why they had to go and yes the story is stronger overall but I, I like them as as a as a um, extra <laughs> yeah we've all gotten used to those on dvds over time so there's really no mm -hmm. reason books can't have them too yeah yeah it's a fun yeah it is a fun extra to have the the, the deleted scenes <laughs> So you mentioned one more book in the series, mm -hmm. the fourth one. Is that going to be it for these for these heroes? Um, yeah, I don't, I can't, I can't say for sure that like the door is completely closed. But for this this arc, this storyline, that's that will be our the series. <laughs> it will be completed with with the with Abby's book. We could treat it like the Marvel universe. Now, phase one is over, and there can be a phase <laughs> two eventually. <laughs> <laughs> Once you figure out what that is. <laughs> what got you started in writing? Um, I I love like telling stories and um I think I was like like very young when I tried tried like writing a story for myself. I had like a old notebook that I would scribble this adventure story in when I was like in sixth grade. And then I'd kind of start and in every recess I'd pick it up and or I'd work on it when I was supposed to be doing homework or other stuff in class. Um, and so I've always wanted to tell stories. Um, I didn't really think of it seriously as a career. Um, and then after college, um, I went to school for science. And so um, I was gonna get a PhD and do all this stuff. Um, and I, you know, ended up going a different route. And really writing has part of been um, a journey where it kind of comes, it ties back to, and I guess like the, the Sidekick Squad series and the titles where we're all, you know, the titles are all about like, hey, I'm not your, I'm not who you think I am. I'm not the person that you're claiming that I should be or expect me to be. Um, it comes back to where, you know, as a queer woman of color, I, you know, I didn't really see a lot of myself in books growing up. And so what I really hoped to write was like, especially when I was writing Sidekick for the first time was I wanted to write a book for like my 16 year old self. Mm -hmm. So this is the book I wanted to read uh, and I wanted it to exist. And so writing and, and then I also just like telling stories. So I wanted the, the stories to be fun. I wanted them to be happy. Um, there's 
and have, you know, there's drama in them. But overall, I wanted to see like kids like myself and kids who looked like me and other kids where that reflect the world that we live in because, you know, trans kids exist, asexual kids exist, mentally ill kids exist. And there's no like there aren't enough stories where they're where they get to be part of something that's just like a superhero adventure or or something fun and fantastic like this. And so I wish that I hope and I think they're definitely now in the past, um, you know, five, ten years, there have been a lot more stories. Mm-hmm. And I think that's great. Um, so I'm just really excited that now people are, are writing one more and reading one more. And there's there's a lot great, a lot of great books to come. And one of the things I to not I, I, I don't want to knock the coming out story because those are very important and very needed. But in these books, that's not really part of it. I mean, in some places there is, but this is a much bigger adventure these teenagers are on that just doesn't revolve around their sexuality so much. That just it, There's so much more going on, which I think is awesome and gives everybody something different to read. Yeah, I, I love that. Like, I want us to have the, like, the breadth and of different types of genres and stories that there are for, like, able-bodied cis um, heterosexual people. Like, I want there to be, like, so many stories to choose from. Um, and so, you know, um, and I really love, I think there's a, a lot of power in having joyful stories mm-hmm. as well. And um, stories where, um, yes, like, sexuality is a part of it. But, you know, who I am is not just my sexuality. Like, every person is uh, is multitudes where... You are who you are is made up of so many things like your passions, your dreams, your hopes, your your hobbies, your your friends, your like who you are as a person isn't just one thing. And we're all um, I love like being able to explore that and getting to see, um, you know, one of the things I just, you know, writing is that I want people to see that like people in the LGBTQ community are like fully nuanced people that get to be complicated and have flaws and go on adventures or fall in love or discover more about themselves in the way that all, all straight people can. <laughs> well said. I like that for sure. Um, who were some of your author influences um, as you got started on your writing journey? So um, I really loved the Harry Potter series growing up. Um, as huge influence for me. That was one of the first um, kind of ways I started writing um, was Harry Potter fan fiction because I love that world so much. And um, just a lot of, I read so much fantasy, like Ursula Le Guin, um, Diane Duane, Owen Colfer, um, like tons of fantasy, Jane Yolen. Um, I started to read a lot more um, widely, but it was... <laughs> Like, I think when I was a kid, I, there was a point when I um, would, like, go to the YA section of just read, like, everything in the library. So I would pretty much read everything, but I tended to love, like, fantasy and sci-fi the most. Nice. And you, and you now you get to write your own. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm really lucky. <laughs> Is there a genre you want to branch into as you close up the, the Sidekick series? 
Um, I'm excited to write more fantasy. Um, so the Sidekick Squad is more sci-fi, speculative. Um, so I'm working on some fantasy stuff. I'm excited to share it. Um, I have some contemporary stuff. Um, I have a short story coming out next year in the next um, All Out anthology. So that'll be fun. It's like a very fluffy high school um, romance that's just set in like um, that's just, there's there's just there's the only magic is is the friendship and the romance. So. Aww. Sometimes that's all you need, though. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's fun because I when I was writing it, I hadn't written like just contemporary in a long time, so that was really fun to try and explore that. Plus, I got to put a lot of puns in there, so. It's <laughs> Uh, you you seem to travel a lot. I feel like every time I see you on social media, it's like, I'm going to this event, or here I am at this event. Come see <laughs> me over here. What drives you to be out on the road so much? Um, so I, I I like the opportunity to like see meet readers, especially like um, I really love you know I I go to a lot of I live in Los Angeles, um, and I'm really lucky to have the opportunity to go to a lot of events that are fairly local. Um, I also think it's really important to travel um, when I have the opportunity to, and I'm lucky that I've been um, able to, and sometimes I will just commit to doing it out of my own pocket because I want to meet readers in those areas. Um, so I love, um, yeah, I already said it. <laughs> I love meeting readers. But um, especially in places where you don't get a lot of, um, you know, LGBTQ resources or teens don't necessarily get to see a lot of um, authors or books with this content come their way and getting to meet, um, you know, teens in, you know, small towns or getting to meet people or even do, um, I do a lot of web chats. <laughs> and so that's fun um, chatting with like libraries or classrooms through the power of the internet, um, which is amazing. But I, um, part of like being like on panels and having these conversations is is important to me just because like you know I get to share with people that might not have heard of my books before or are just learning about it for the first time and so that's that's always a very special moment to me when someone's like oh my gosh like this this is exactly what I've been looking for I didn't know it exists but now I do and so that's that's very meaningful and sometimes I get to meet people who have already re read the books and that's very important to me and that's part of the most rewarding things to me as a writer is knowing that like your work has made an impact on someone whether it's just making them smile or or you know to the to the depth of having someone like um like I've like cried over several really long emails just because um you know sometimes people are like really sweet and talk about like oh this is my coming out experience or like um you know getting to like for me like if so like I want people to see that they're valid mm -hmm. and so knowing that someone else has read my work and recognized themselves that's one of the like most rewarding things I've ever done. Mm -hmm. I was in Seattle recently um, earlier this year and one of the events I did was with the um, Seattle Public Library where we went to um, LGBT Youth Center and that was really powerful just to like hang out with, with kids and chat with them and what what are they looking for to as far as like hey like what's powerful to me like what's what's fun to me like getting kids to like and a lot of this is like stuff that I totally resonate with when they like connect with a character on TV or are upset that you know that character got killed off in one season or whatever because um, because of TV 
um, but they, you know, it's it's always great to have to chat with chat with people. Everyone's yeah. always going through something. Yeah, for sure. So we've hinted a little bit about some stuff that's coming up for you. You're working on Sidekick Four. You've got a short story coming out next year. Anything else we should know about? Um, I'm also writing um, the new Ben 10 original graphic novels with Boom Studios and Cartoon Network. So one is already out. Um, it's called The Truth Is Out There. That's where um, Ben Ben 10 is is um, part of the uh, Cartoon Network sh- a show where Ben can turn into ten different aliens. Uh, so it's fun. It's um, it's a fun middle grade romp. Um, so I'm doing a number of those graphic novels with Boom. So those will be available throughout. Um, I can't recall the the dates off the top of my head, but another one is coming out in. July, and then one more in October of this year, and then next year there will be um, some more coming as well. What's it like writing for graphic novel? Because, I mean, that's a, a different sort of animal than a, a, a novel that, you know, is 60 or 70,000 words long. Mm-hmm. It was definitely um, a new experience. It was a lot of fun um, trying um, a different medium. It Like, definitely writing a script goes... Um, differently as far as um, and I catch myself like oh I'm being too descriptive this is literally the the only person who will see this is the artist Um, and it's also a great collaborative process so it's really fun to work with the artists and editors and really like bring together this story that exists in its own medium so it's like it's not just me the writer but like what the artist is bringing and collaborating with them and getting to like you know, I'll like write the dialogue and the action, and and then they'll they'll like imagine it in a certain way. Of like, oh, I didn't think of that, and that's really fun. Um, so I really like the graphic novel format. I'm I'm hoping to do more, um, and so I'm really excited to be working on these projects. And um, yeah, hopefully, I'll be able to share more upcoming Very projects. Cool. <laughs> and speaking of, what is the best way for people to keep up with you online? Um, you can always find me um, on Twitter and Instagram at CBLEE underscore CBLEE because it's double the trouble. Um, <laughs> uh, my website is cb-lee.com, and then you can find more links to other ways you can connect with me. Usually Twitter and Instagram where you can find me the most, but as far as, um, yeah, where you can connect with me on and my website has like fun stuff i try to write, update it with like writing resources and um, um my upcoming events and i also have a newsletter which will have some special tidbits probably like the deleted scenes which is the very first place i offered the not your villain um extra scenes very cool well cb thank you so much for hanging out with us we wish you all the success with yeah, not your backup you. when it comes out on june 4th Thank you so much for having me, and I really appreciate it. I'm so excited, and I hope um, everyone enjoys the book. This week's interview transcript is brought to you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read the author interview for yourself, simply head over to the show notes page for this episode at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. And thanks again to CB for hanging out with us for a little bit. I'm looking forward to reading uh, Not Your Backup. Just as soon as it gets on audio, the audiobooks to this series have been so extraordinary. Uh, that I think I'm going to wait to take in this book in that format. Yeah, sounds good. 
Okay, just a quick reminder before we leave you for this week. Did you know that the Big Gay Fiction Podcast has its very own Patreon page? Well, we do. Patreon is a way for fans to engage with all kinds of artists and writers and musicians and podcasters as well. It's a great way to support the kinds of creative content that you enjoy the most. If you're curious about what kind of bonus material we deliver to our fans every single month, just go to patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. Now, coming up in episode 192, we talk to Aiden Wayne. They've got two books coming out this spring, uh, and another is going to follow this summer, and we've got all of the details on those. Yeah, it was a pleasure talking to Aiden. They pack so much stuff into their books. Mm. They talk about how they really squish all the tropes and all the concepts <laughs> into these books uh, one by one, and it was really great to talk to them about it. Yeah. So guys, remember, no matter where life takes you, the journey will always be sweeter when you have a book. Until next time, everyone, please keep turning those pages and keep reading. For detailed show notes and links to everything discussed in this episode, go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com. New episodes are available every Monday at all major podcast distributors. You can also find us on YouTube. I'm Derek McLean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.